It's like, I don't know if I want to try it, but I, I kind of want to try it. Kind of see how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All, you tell me something's bad, I'm like, I got to try it. This is Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon, bringing to you the best in news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. And I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Coleman. We've taken a little bit of a hiatus from the Bourbon Community Roundtable, but we're back and we've got two topics that are hot. A few months ago, Buffalo Trace announced there would be no George T. Stag in the 2021 release of the Antique Collection. Many theories started circulating, such as holding it back to create a media frenzy, or potentially having a new brand come from it years from now. However, Buffalo Trace has gone on record saying it didn't reach the standard that they come to expect from it, yet they knew about this months prior. We're going to analyze this from both sides of the fence here. And in the second half of the show, we look at the sheer volume of brands that are built on MGP and how some have hype and others are still trying to find their way. With that, enjoy this week's episode. And now here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Todd Van Orman, who writes me on fredminnick.com. Why, from a marketing standpoint, would an already household name of bourbon sponsor such controversial figures as Joe Rogan to advertise their bourbon? Hmm. They already can't keep up with demand for flagship why risk making it more scarce or maybe the opposite? Push people away like me. Keep up the great work. Thank you in advance. Well, thank you, Todd. Todd, you you have definitely asked a great question. Um, you know, I've been in a lot of rooms with, uh, in, in my time in uh, creating, co-creating Bourbon and Beyond, uh, I got the opportunity to be in rooms with marketing geniuses and I know uh, what it takes to like get someone to come here from Alaska or the Philippines to watch uh, a concert in Louisville, Kentucky. And it's, it's very similar to what it would take to get someone to buy a bottle of bourbon and that it's just marketing. It's, it's, um, it's an effort to reach across someone in a grocery store aisle, in a liquor store aisle, on a website and get them to buy a particular product over something else. And of course, here we're talking about Buffalo Trace. Buffalo Trace sponsors uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. And, you know, the sad truth is they have the numbers. They're going to know the numbers of who they could lose, like yourself, Todd, and who they can gain, which are the fanatics of a show. So when you see someone take a calculated risk in any kind of marketing endeavor, they know. They know. Let's face it. Buffalo Trace on the Joe Rogan show is far more effective than them buying ads in a newspaper, a whiskey-related uh, publication, uh, even Google-related ads. I mean, Joe Rogan is the king of podcasting, which is where this this right here lives. And that is a risk that they have taken. And it's a risk that they will probably continue to take because he has massive, massive numbers. And you've got him on there saying that this is his bourbon. This, you know, this is his exclusive bourbon. And that's a big deal. 
That's a big, big deal. I mean, to put it in equivalence, equivalency, like if if Bourbon and Beyond could have that look from uh, Bob and Tom, the Bob and Tom show, I mean, we'd probably be all over it. But these shows, don't they don't just do that. And I can speak from experience. I've been asked to endorse a lot of products that are not whiskey related, and I choose not to because I don't believe in them. So when you hear you know a famous person or a famous host endorse something, it usually means they believe in it most of the time. Some people don't, but you know most do. So I think that's what you're seeing here. Um, they've done the numbers, and it's a risk they're willing to take. Whether you believe in Joe Rogan or not, that's the pony they are backing. But that's going to do it for uh, this week's Above the Char. If you want to be like Todd and ask me a question that is actually really thought-provoking, uh, hit me up on fredminnick.com. That's fredminnick.com. Click the contact button and just shoot me your idea. If I like it, I'll read it on the air. Until next week, cheers. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Bourbon Community Roundtable, number 62. And we've got most of the gang here with us tonight as we start covering some things that have happened to news of the past probably like month and two months ago. 
but we've been taking a little bit of hiatus. There was, we had some scheduling issues on our side. There's a little bit of chaos on the, on the back end over here, but we're now here. We're going to start moving forward. We got some really good topics lined up tonight, but Ryan, it's good to see you again. I feel like we've talked to each other every day now for the past month, like an old married couple. Yeah, it's like every night, nine o'clock podcast. It's like just as soon as I get like ready to go to bed, it's like nope, got to go to work. So, but I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm glad it's we've been we've had a lot of good conversations, and tonight's going to be another good one. Well, I tell you what, even with the time change. I'm sitting here thinking maybe we should move this up to an hour to eight because I'm sitting here like getting tired and it's really dark. It's cold. And I'm trying to trying to muster up all the energy to keep this sucker going. Yeah. When it's like six and pitch black out and you're like, gosh, I feel like it's like 10. You know, and I still got four more hours. <laughs> like, What do I do with my time? But- I'm with you. Sometimes with I'm the with kids, you. I'm like, all right, kids, I'm going to bed. Like, Dad, it's 530. I'm like, okay, well, you got a few more hours later than I thought, earlier than I thought it was. Go watch another round of shows. What do you think? <laughs> For sure. All right, well, you just heard Blake from Sealbox and Bourbon right there. And then, Jordan, I'll let you do a quick little intro, and then, Brian, you go next. Sure. This is Jordan, one of the three guys from Breaking Bourbon. You can find us at BreakingBourbon.com, your source for all things bourbon and whiskey reviews. And I'm Brian with Sippin' Corn. Find me at Sippin' Corn or bourbonjustice.com. Thanks for having me on number 62. Here we go. All right. So the big news as of, well, I mean, I guess it was big news a few weeks ago, maybe maybe two months ago, was that Antique Collection was missing a heavy hitter this year, and that was George T. Stagg. Now, we had our own little Twitter message thread. We had text message threads kind of talking about this, but I I will read something from the press release to sort of refresh everybody's memory here. And they said that they didn't want to release it because the 15-year-old barrels did not meet the distillery's taste standards for the Stag brand. There's various measures of quality tests administered to all of Buffalo Trace's bourbon, everything from checking turbidity and testing samples using gas chromatography. But the most discriminating test of all is the human palate. A team of taste testers who have gone through the sensory analysis training, tasting each barrel sample brought to the laboratory at Buffalo Trace, ensure that each barrel matches the brand standards before it is done to be bottled. However, if one taster disagrees, the entire barrel is sent back to be aged longer. Now, we kind of saw this transpire. We had our own threads going on. We saw a lot of the outbreak and hysteria that was going through a lot of the forums. I kind of want to turn it over uh, to you all first. What was your initial reaction when you saw this? Suspicion. <laughs> I roll. <laughs> Are we all just doing one word? Yeah. <laughs> you can, one you word. Can right. it up in three words or less, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a real short round table. We're all just going to give three word answers to everything. <laughs> <With> dubious. Yeah. <laughs> I, guys, I mean, I was, that's great. I'll jump, I'll jump in. I'll say, <laughs> I, you know, kind of to piggyback on Brian's suspicion comment, I was just like, there is no way you're telling me with the amount of barrels that they have aging and the amount of barrels that are going into stag that they couldn't have some kind of release, you, you know. And then I think we've that suspicion was raised even more whenever recently they had TTB approval for the um, – you know, Stag Jr. losing the junior. And so, uh, I mean, I just, I, I know Buffalo Trace has an incredible tasting team, but there is no way you can convince me that there wasn't enough barrels to find 
a stag released. I, I think there's going to be, you know, more double eagle in the pipeline or a, a, a stag. I don't even know what that would be, a double stag or whatever. I just, I feel like there's a whole lot more to it. You know, the fact that they're throwing out in the press release, the chromatography and all that just makes me think that it, it was covering up some future plans and they needed those barrels for other releases because at the end of the day, Buffalo Trace sells those bottles to a distributor for about $50 a piece, maybe, maybe 60. And we all know they could be getting a whole lot more for that bourbon. So that's, that's my uneducated, that's not, you know, behind the scenes take, but that's, that's how I took it. I mean, we, you know, we gave them the benefit of the doubt based on what they said, but really when you look at it, it was, like I said, we're, we're a little dubious. So for the first time ever too, Buffalo Trace got ahead of everything and put this on the New York Times. So we're, we're reading this in the New York Times before it really hits and they sent out their own press release to all of us. So they got ahead of it. They, they definitely got the publicity they wanted. More people are talking about BTAC than, than ever. And we said the same thing. Out of all the barrels that they had, that they're tasting year over year just to make sure they're progressing good. Last year they were on track and all of a sudden this year they're off track or have they been off track the whole time and they just weren't going to say anything. So it's a little it's a little suspicious, especially with what Blake said too about Stag Jr. dropping the Jr. It, it just feels a little off. I mean, they've done very low BTAC bottle count releases before with with the various brands, right? So it seems weird. They couldn't even find like 600, right? A few barrels to mix up six, 700 bottles, even just to keep it going year over year. It, it's like I said, we, you know, we gave them the benefit of the doubt. We'll take their word for it. It just felt off a little bit though. Yeah. I, I kind of want to just touch on what Blake had said, was saying earlier about holding these back for potentially something different. You know, I, I do want to give them the benefit of the doubt. We, we know everybody at Buffalo Trace. We know Freddie, we know Joshua Steely. We know all these people that they're, they're great people. And, I, we all want to think that, yes, they're not going to be part of some massive marketing scheme to go ahead and trick everybody in bourbon to get this massive PR sort of thing out of it. But, you know, you do, you do think about, well, I saw a lot of things that were also in the forums when people said, well, it couldn't have been worse than the 2019 release. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, gosh, was it really that bad? I I don't really remember it being that bad, but some people said that it, it was, however, I don't think I've had a stag that had been that bad. Now I can say that or I, I would say that if they do come out with a name, if they keep holding these back, you got to think, well, what's, what's like a really good stag, right? I mean, they call them 10 point bucks, right? So you got to like stag 10 point or something like that. That has to be the name that they're going to come out with at some point. I'm not a hunter, but I'm just guessing that's, that's what it has to be. It's either something like that, or they're expanding the Taylor line again. They're they've, they've got that earmarked for something, but the, the thing that impresses me the most and makes me suspicious at the same time the most is is how genius they are at getting PR for something like this. Like to Jordan's point about send, sending out the press release before it, getting out of, out of the gate so fast on it, they got more press for saying they're not going to release something than anyone gets for Parker's Heritage. I mean, come on, really? By saying they're not going to release something? Um, they're, they're just, they're absolute geniuses at marketing and they make us and everyone else do their marketing for them. I I would say that the other thing that also felt, it felt a little premeditated, especially when you saw it on the New York times that blows out the news. What was it? Three or four hours before the rest of us got the press release. Yep. And when you want to come out and you want to be a little forthright and you say, this isn't a PR stunt, 
it feels a little like a PR stunt. It feels a little like you knew what you were doing. Like, how can we make the biggest splash out of bad news? And I felt that that was the only thing that felt pretty targeted in, in actually putting it to the New York Times first. I feel like that's the same thing, though. You know, you could look at it from the other side of if they just threw it out there with no context or anything, you know, I think that they're trying to get ahead of it. And what bourbon brand these days doesn't want to be in the New York Times, Robert Simonson writing about it. So if, you know, they can, I don't know, that that part, uh, I understood that part more than just like what happened to the actual barrels, I feel like. Because they wanted to get ahead of the story. And I saw plenty of comments from people who were like, well, good for them for, you know, standing on their quality. And if it wasn't up to that, they weren't going to put it out. And it's like, well... I guess that opinion's out there and that's what they're going for. So my favorite part of the New York times article though, was they said like Drew said, if any one team member gives a thumbs down, then they reject it. And so I love, they have their same reviewing system as we do, you know, on the whiskey quickies <laughs> thumbs up. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, on, in all honesty, I mean, if, if they thought Stag missed the mark, I thought William Larue Weller really missed the mark this year. It's like, how could they? I don't know. I just, I, I've become such good friends with Josh Steely and, you know, the whole team over there is so good. I, I don't think this was like intentional, but, you know, it is such a good, damn good PR job, you know, that it's like, it's brilliant, you know, that, and then, you know, even if it was, it's kudos to them. It's everything they do, the whiskey they make is great. The PR is great. Everything's great. It's it's just brilliant, really. Yeah, there's admiration there. If they came out and said, hey, guys, we're going to hold back Stacks release because we want to sell it as a $500 bottle in two years, and all of you are still going to buy it, all of us are still going to buy that bottle in two years. <laughs> you know, like, the, the, They have that much uh, kind of sway over the market right now. It's, it's pretty impressive. Um, not to say that that's really what they're going to do, but feel like they just have you know people would be like well at least they're honest about you know what they're doing and and how they make their products so it's it's really kind of a win-win for them but i don't know stag's always my favorite so i'm just i'm probably just mourning uh not having that this year but there's plenty to uh plenty to still drink so last year's was so damn good too stag's last year's one of my favorites in a while yeah i was sad so I know Fred had mentioned this in our, our sort of chat and I'll kind of give him the, the credit for saying this is that, you know, by going to the New York Times, what do you what do you gain by doing that? Well, you gain an audience of people that are probably just relatively into bourbon, but they know the New York Times. And so you're making even more people that might not even know this product exists now know about it and think that they're not going to be able to find it yet creating even more scarcity for the the same exact product. So you are it's it's feeding the beast that's already too big and and kind of bring making more people aware about a product that's already pretty damn scarce the way it is it's not the same thing as pappy van winkle everybody knows about pappy van winkle now you anybody that's even not in a bourbon has heard of pappy van winkle but even in the article they mention the distiller that makes the highly coveted pappy van winkle (laughs) well guys i didn't want to necessarily say it out loud but the thought crossed my mind since they mentioned pappy it are they trying to make this the next pappy and is is the pappy family going 
somewhere else or are they driving a harder bargain and Buffalo Trace is positioning themselves to have a replacement, to have the the next Pappy that they have all of this this demand for that they kind of just self-create out of thin air. Ooh, he's they're not they're not playing ch- uh, checkers anymore then are they Brian? They're, no, not at all. It's yeah. it's all chess from them. Yeah, I was about to say that's a that's quite the quite the interesting take there. I didn't even really think about that. The conspiracy wheels are turning now. <laughs> well, to, to play off Brian's point too, though, it might it, you know it's that's a really good point, Brian. It's also the market since think think when Pappy became huge five six years ago. I mean, super mainstream, and since that time, the bourbon market and the bourbon consumer base has just exploded. So there's I think there's actually room for both. There is room to always have that Pappy hype, and there's room to have hype of another bottle or two that's just as important. And instead of somebody else coming in and swooping into those number two and three spots, Buffalo Trace is like, we're going to take those two. We'll do the whole antique collection. We'll just start hyping up this thing that people think, and let's start associating with Pappy, and boom, let's have people chase that too. Yeah, because it was one of those things, kind of the last high-end things that really only bourbon geeks knew about for the past few, well, up until the past few years. But the past few years before then, it was relatively one of those things that everybody knew that was a great product and and you'd pay the little bit extra over retail because it was it was great now it's it's starting to hit that that same exact price point now i'm surprised uh you know the breaking bourbon guys didn't see this coming with their evaporation calculations and charts (laughs) each year you know we we, we pissed somebody off hardcore on that one (laughs) but jordan you've probably gotten this feedback from them as well of like you you do the math on the how many bottles are available and they'll say like you're way off. I'm like, well, math isn't off. So either something in the press release is off or, you know, I know I've had that conversation with him. Like, no, no, your calculation wasn't off. I'm like, well, it's it's pretty easy to do here, guys. Have you run into that some with them? Uh, we have run into the fact that, you know, they told us they're cutting off, putting out all the information to consumers so that people can't calculate it anymore. So either our math collectively between Breaking Bourbon, you, Blake, I'm sure others out there was so far off. Or they realized, oh, these guys are spot on. We better stop this. So I think it's more more the later. Now, I also think that, or I want to say that people may not realize that Stag has typically for the past few years been one of the the largest bottle counts that's ever been released. I, what was it in 2019 or 2020? Or last when you'd be able to figure it out, it was close to 40,000 bottles, roughly something like that. Yep. It's pretty substantial release. Um and even at 50% plus the evaporation, actually, it's even way more than that. It's a, that's a lot of barrels. That's a lot of barrels. And so you know that they they didn't taste them all. It's, it's understandable they didn't taste them all. But I'm sure they went through different lots and different things like that. I, I do find it difficult to say that none of them, like none of these lots cut the mustard and we couldn't put out even 5,000 bottles you know, maybe whatever it is that Sazerac 18 is or Eagle Rare 17, that's the the lowest amount, at least something to kind of put it out there. But you look at that as this is an opportunity to really pump up the media engine and kind of get this going. Now, the other thing that I also want to kind of mention here is that as they were tasting these, it's not like they just did it, you know, a few weeks before the press release. Like this was this was set in motion six months to nine months ago. Of, of actually when it was going to be released. Because by the time you go and you harvest the barrels, you get them all together, you do the dumping, you do the blending, you get the bottling, you get it on the skids, you get it out there. That's It's a six to ninth month process. So they've known for a long time that there wasn't going to be a stag release. 
well, first off, tip of the hat to them. They were able to keep that secret internal. Well <laughs> I mean, kept secret. Yeah, very well, well kept that, secret. And, and they still push back the release of the antique collection. I mean, usually that's like eh, maybe second week of September. And what did it come out this year? Second week of October? So yeah, it was that's really also a little interesting as well. Yeah. And, and, but I mean, like I said, that's just, you, you look at that as saying, okay, well, we can either do damage control now and, and get the word out there, or we just break the internet all one day and we drop the press release, we drop this news, we do everything. Because if you do this, hell, nobody even cares about the William Lerweller at this point. All the news is talking about stag. So they definitely switched it up and, and did something to, to make it a little more lively, I guess you could say. Well, you know, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm sure you guys maybe saw the same thing that we did too. It seems like the bourbon community, right? The diehard bourbon community, the people are really as into whiskey as we are. They just aren't, you know, the stag, not stag, the antique press release this year didn't get as much traction as years past. People kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, all right, yep, another Buffalo Trace product, not going to be able to find it. If I do, it's going to be overpriced. But everyone who's not into bourbon, right? I have a lot of friends reach out and said, hey, I read this in New York Times. Do you see this? Like, what's this bourbon? Is it good? So it's almost, well, the bourbon community is getting kind of tired of not being able to find stuff where everything's overpriced. But now there's this whole slew of new folks that are that are super into the antique collection more than more than ever before. And it's not just because the New York Times, it's just because, you know, they don't know any better about prices. So they're okay with that. Oh, it's 300, 400, 500 bucks. All right, sounds good. That's what I'm paying for scotch. Sure. Sign me up. Yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, we put out our, our review on it. Was there anything that you all thought on the antique collection that really surprised you or one that was... Uh, didn't live up to the hype. I know Ryan and I, we've already discussed on ours. We didn't think the William Lerweller lived up to it this year. It actually was the worst of the four, in our opinion. But I was honestly really surprised about the Thomas H. Handy. I thought it was an incredible showing this year. Yep, I will second that. And the Eagle Rare was, I mean, two years ago, it was incredible. Then it was kind of okay last year. And then this year was really incredible. I thought the Eagle Rare 17 and the Handy. Sorry, Jordan. Proceed. No, no. I was going to say, Handy's one of those. Handy was good this year. It is. But it's always one of those ones where everyone discounts it because it's easy to find. It's low stage and stuff like that. But Easy to find. Well, easy. Listen to that. If you laid out, you know, all four, well, five stags out there. If you laid them out in front of folks, most of the time people aren't going to choose Handy, which is a shame because it is a sleeper. Some years it's just really, really good. And it keeps getting better. It's had its off years. But yeah, it was good this year. Well, it will not surprise any listeners to the show that I did yet again have not received samples on this. I believe Blake's in the same same bucket there too. Yeah, yeah I don't even know yeah. if I can access the bourbon or email account anymore. So <laughs> I'm out. I'm out in the cold on that one. <laughs> All right, so there you go. Don't don't email Blake about it. But like I said, to kind of wrap up this topic, I do want to reiterate that we do know a lot of people at Buffalo Trace, and I, I do want to take you know their their word at face value and saying that it, it really wasn't good enough. And they did try uh, and make it as best as they could. Uh, however, I, you know, let, come, let us come do it next time. We'll, we'll be some, we'll be your actual, you know, your, your, your consumer market, like your actual testing market. Let us, let us be the judge of that. Cause I don't know. I, I think it, it'd be tough to pull one by me, but then again, you know, we're also not master tasters, master blenders, and they get paid for that. You know, that would actually, that would be a good tour experience, right? A bad stag. So remember Heaven Hill was doing that for a while. They always have like a, a bad age bourbon that you would taste on, on their tour. That'd be great if Buffalo Trace said, hey, come taste a bad stag. That'd be, I think people would actually seek that out. <laughs> 
That's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it kind of reminds you of like the cork taint Elmer T. Lee. It's like, I don't know if I want to try it, but I, I kind of want to try it. Kind of see how bad it is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you tell me something's bad. I'm like, I got to try it. How, how bad can it be? Oh, that bad. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, this is the most 2021 20, thing, like with supply chain issues and everything. It's like, they're like, why not? Let's throw ours in the mix too, where we just don't have a release, you know, but no, I'm, it's fun to speculate and, you know, all this stuff is for fun for us guys. So everyone at Sazerac, we love you and we'll take your word for it. And uh, it's just fun to speculate because you do make damn good whiskey and now you have even better PR. So good well, job. I think, yeah, kudos <laughs> to them for making good of a bad situation, right? Like I, like Kenny said, we'll take them for the word, but man, that's amazing marketing. They figured it out. They, uh, they, it's another Midas touch over there, but we'll go ahead. We'll, uh, we'll start moving to our second topic for the night. And that's starting to look at you know, MGP brands, they've been growing astronomically now over the past few years. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. We'll start moving to our second topic for the night. And that's starting to look at, you know, MGP brands, they've been growing astronomically now over the past few years. And you see some that have really started to rise as, as like almost like have this like cult-like following. They have a lot of hype around them while others are still trying to figure out how to sort of latch on to it because we've seen that before and we, it's a, it's a perfectly good playbook go and purchase a bunch of aged MGP stock anywhere from four to six years old. A few years ago, you could get some that was 10 to 13 years old, and that's sort of all dried up. But for the most part, you see a bunch of brands that are continually on the face of, of social media and getting attention and uh, you know continually being able to sell a lot of their products. So you look at things like Smoke Wagon, Nashville Barrel Company, Brothers Bond, OKI, 
Uh, and Smooth Ambler, I guess, was probably the, the OG of this sort of scenario. But then you have other brands like Remus and Savage and Cook and maybe Broken Barrel and you know 200 others that all have the same exact whiskey, but still have not been able to make a, the same exact dent or maybe a perceived dent in the marketplace. So I kind of want to throw it first off and, and talk about just the, the MGP train in general. Now, we have seen this go over the past few years that we had, what was it, three, four years ago, we had these MGP chasers that basically wiped out the 12-plus year stock at a lot of distilleries. That was Smoke Wagon, it was Blom Brothers, and I'm pretty sure there's two or three others that they were able to just look around and, and find them and, and completely wipe them out. Do we think that is what started this big MGP chase train where people are now realizing the value of, of MGP and really starting to appreciate its whiskey? I think a lot of it comes down to when, when those guys did it, age started becoming really big in the whiskey world and bourbon world. People want a double digit aged bourbon. And if you're a new startup, there's no way you're doing that anytime soon unless you just go out and scoop it up. And that's, and that's smoke wagon. Those guys, that's what they started doing. Where else are they going to get double digit age state of bourbon for the price that MGP was offering at the time too. So it was, a, it was a smart move in that sense um, to just gobble up as much as they can so they could buy time as they, if they chose to age their own stuff. Uh, you know, I always look at it as like, it, it is the same, but it's different at the same time. You know, there, there's good MGP, there's bad MGP. I've, I've had both. Um, and also there's good blending and there's bad blending. You know, what one place does with 10 to 12 barrels of MGP, it a lot of times better than what others do because they don't understand process and, you know, kind of compounding flavors and layering flavors in a blend. Um, but the next thing I think you have is just, you know, reaching out to the consumer, making them excited. MGP makes a good product. So if you have a good product and then you have a brand that's, you know, reaching out to customers and, and making people believe in what they're doing, I think that's kind of that next step. And, and people want to buy into that, you know, I look at Penelope with that where, you know, they're upfront, like, hey, we source MGP, it's worth five-year MGP, but we think we're going to blend it really well. We're going to try cool and fun experiments, and then we're going to, you know, be very interactive with our customer base as well. Um, and ultimately, I think that that's what kind of hits home with a lot of bourbon drinks today, um, you, you know, I don't know if any of us, well, maybe some of us, uh, like, like, you know, pursued and breaking bourbon and uh, with bourbon justice in the book or some of the major distilleries are reaching out. But for the average consumer, if they post on Instagram or Twitter, the major guys aren't commenting on them. But then you have like a lot of these like Smoke Wagon, Pinhook, Penelope, Nashville Barrel Company. Um, they may, they, they may jump on comment and do all that. I think that goes a long way as well. Yeah, I agree with that. And I was going to throw in one, another old OG on this and even before smooth ambler, uh, redemption rye before they sold had some eight and I think 10 year old. And the other thing that got people's attention in addition to the, to, to the age was barrel proof. I mean, that's the front end of barrel proof when, uh, when redemption came out with that and then smooth ambler following it. And I, I think, that plus the the skill you guys are talking about some some people know how to to blend it and they know how to make something better than the whatever that saying is the 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 parts in the whole 
And that's really what's setting people uh, or setting the really good MGPs apart, I think. And that's what people are finally getting to appreciate now that there's so much MGP out there. They can appreciate those older redemptions in the uh, in the smooth ambler, and Smoke Wagon has kind of caught that same vibe. Then you get some of the other ones, and it's just, it's you know, they're just they're totally passable. So you just got to find the right ones that fit your profile. I'm still trying to find the difference between all these MGP brands because I've I've tried them and tried to understand this. And yes, it, and all of them are. I mean, some of the MGP bourbon, yes, it's not great, but it's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's, it's all really good whiskey and it's, you know, got a great high rise spice, you know, especially that high rise mash bill. It hits all the check boxes with, you know, bourbon people. The, the biggest thing is people just like stories and connections. And that's the brands that are exceeding the most of that are able to create a story, create a brand, connect, create connections with their consumers. You know, like Blake commented, if you post a smoke wagon bottle or this and that, I mean, I go through the stories. I'm like, can I get through these fast enough? These smoke wagon. There's like a hundred reposts of, you know, when people like that, they feel special when you repost, uh, you know, all that. And, and Aaron's a, a character. I mean, he's, he's just funny to watch and gives you a behind the scenes look, you know, Nashville barrel company's got, you know, some great guys behind it, you know, that you can connect to the brand with them. Um, that, that's, I think that's, it, it's like any product, you know, Cars are pretty much the same. They're only marginally better, you know, but people like brands and Mercedes because they're whatever, because they're brands and they're, they feel connected to it. And and that's who's capitalizing the most of this. The The whiskey's great. I mean, and I, I don't think there's really a much difference between different brands and the whiskey, but I do think there's a different perceived connection to the brand. And that's what's separating those from uh, each other. So Ryan, I'll throw another question at you there then. So if you see brands that are doing this and and really all it is is a lot of like grassroots marketing at that point, is that a playbook that anybody could follow? I mean, if we wanted to start, let's let's not even say we, because at least we have, we all have some sort of outreach, but we'll, we'll just say anybody that's in the chat wanted to start, um, you know, whiskey chat whiskey. And it was a bunch of four and six year old MGP, but all I have to do is just have a really good Instagram account. Is that a recipe for success? I mean, is that is the whiskey good enough that it passed that you could sell it anywhere just because it's forty six year old MGP? Yeah, I mean, as long as you're an authentic person and like you're genuine about your story and your passion about the whiskey, I mean, I think people can sniff out the frauds and who's just kind of trying to cash in on the moment. Um, I feel like the brands that are most successful do really care about the industry and community as a whole. You know you know, Blake was talking Penelope, Smoke Wagon, all we've interviewed all, talked to all those guys. I mean, they're very passionate, you know, people and know what they're doing. And they're, uh, I, I feel like this is the new wave of whiskey brands. Um, you know, we were talking to Blue Run today and, um, it's all of us new companies were, we're having to source whiskey and use contract distillation, but we're able to kind of make, a difference from ourselves, you know, with blending and doing different fun things that, you know, that you don't get from the big distilleries that have that great mash build, you know, that's $20 a bottle, but they're, you know, Elijah Craig has been dead and gone for 200 years. I'm not, he's not reposting my bottle shot, you know, from my family picnic <laughs> or whatever. Well, um, I mean, I don't know. We can get a seance together and see what we can do and, and kind of make him come back to the dead for you, but who knows? 
Yeah, but I mean, if I think if you're someone passionate about this industry, I mean, MGP is a great, great product and it's easy, you know, to work with. So, uh, I mean, yeah, I think anybody could do it if they're the if their intentions are right. I think Mitch's comment that just popped up right there about whiskey fans wanting to feel that connection with the brand is spot on, right? So, so those it's not just going out and buying barrels. It's well, what are we going to do with it? That's why Aaron's done some with Smoke Wagon. The Penelope guys are super engaged. Uh, with their folks, right? I mean, even even you, Kenny and Ryan, with with the brand you're building, you're really connected to the community, and you're just not throwing it out there and just walking away. And that's the huge difference, right? It's how are you going to differentiate yourself, not just by blending, not just by barrel finishing, but how are you actually going to connect with that consumer base to um to build that movement and and build that fan base? Yeah, because I mean, like you all done picks with you know Penelope or whoever, you know, when you go hang out with those guys it's a great experience, you know, and it, whereas you go to a distillery, they roll out three barrels and we're like, how fast can we get your ass out of here? But you go to these other places and they, you know, they embrace you and they, it's a whiskey geeks dream. It's like going to Napa and going to the small winery. You get to meet the, I can't remember what you call a winemaker. I guess a winemaker. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a winemaker, but you know, <laughs> but you know what I, I mean? What you call these, it's, uh, it's fun watching them stumble. That's the best part. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I remember back in yeah, 2013, 2014, they'd still buy you lunch. Now it's well, that's yeah. the thing a lot of them that get you out of there. The barrel picks, barrel picks you're doing in 2012, 2013, as opposed to what we do today from the major brand. I, I mean, you know, I know Eddie's um, very well known at Wild Turkey for kind of taking people around the rick house with a drill, but I don't, I don't know if that still happens. Um, but some of these small guys go in and say, hey, we're going to take a whole barrel and, and we've got a group that has an, a decent social media following. We're going to post about it. You know, that's that's big for them. That's a big win. So they're more than happy to take care of you and make sure, you, you, you know, you get the barrel you want. Um, and that's what I think a lot of us probably miss and um, really enjoy that part of it. So I, I think there's always room for that. Yeah, I mean, hell, New Rift built a whole... I mean, they create a craze over single barrel picks, you know, that was like brilliant. Like, how can we, as bigger distilleries are limiting barrel picks, we're going to ramp up ours to, you know, get consumers. It was brilliant. They they do do a good job. And I think that goes back to uh, Blake's point. So smaller brands will still connect and they'll spend the time. Right. And I think that's probably what big brands got a little sick of back in 2012, 2013, all right, let's roll out some more barrels. All of a sudden, a barrel pick has taken two, three, four hours. They're getting sick of that. They can't keep that up, right? Smaller brands, they'll still do that. Like, all right, you want to come in? You want to taste it over and over again? That's fine. We're, that's You're the only one here today to taste it. We don't have a factory of, you know, six other people behind you coming in and say to do barrel picks. And uh, people people appreciate that. And those are those are special moments. You remember those, right? Oh, yeah, I hung out with the, with the master stiller, master blender whoever it is, the owner of the company, we spent four hours just drinking, tasting different stuff. It was great. And that's, that's still special in that book. Yeah. Those are, that's still the experience you you go for. Yeah. So there's, there's two things I want to bring up here. Uh, First is uh, give a shout out to Brian in the chat. And I kind of feel the same exact way too, is to say, you know, there's no problem with MGP. It's great whiskey, but do something better than just bottle it. Um, I think that we've seen some other companies come around that, you know, you take Broken Barrel, for instance, you take Savage and Cook, they are using MGP whiskey, but they're finishing it. They're taking a different route with it. Penelope is doing bespoke blends with it. But there are other people that are doing nothing other than just bottling it barrel proof and putting it out there as some crazy unicorn cask. 
and I want to also give credit to Matt here with this Matt Cusick saying that, you know, the issue that he has is when they price gouge you for, you know, MGP or Dickel juice. And we've seen this already. I'm not going to name names for some of these brands, but you see five-year-old MGP, they're charging 70, 80, 90, hundred dollars a bottle. Uh, you've got some other ones that are seven-year, eight-year MGP, and it's $175 a bottle just because it's cash strength. I don't, I don't get it. And I, I don't know how sustainable something like that is. And, and whether that you're able to, I don't want to say dupe the consumers, but you definitely have kind of elevated yourself to a level that maybe you are trying to get to the people that aren't the, the vast whiskey uh, know-it-alls, but people that think they think it's something special. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm still kind of having this sort of internal debate about that. I'm not saying it's, and, and that's it's your spot on, Connie. I'm not saying it's right because it's definitely not the right thing. But the amount of emails we get on a weekly basis of people saying, "Hey, so you know, so and so in my life just hit this special milestone. I want to find a bottle that costs two to three hundred dollars, hundred fifty to two hundred dollars, four hundred dollars plus. What can I buy?" Right. So if you're a brand and you hear people doing this and you're like, you know what, there's not too many bourbons that they can easily find for 175, 200 bucks. Let's put it out there. People, people still don't know. The vast majority of people just associate quality with price. And again, that's not the right thing by no means. And I think everyone knows that who's listening to this podcast. But the majority of people who are buying don't know that. And it's just so they're just trying to fill a hole in the marketplace that exists and not saying it's it's the right thing to do, but it's probably why they're doing it. I agree totally, Jordan. I mean, that's a, that's a price point that people want to pay. And you, if they don't know what they're getting, it's there. It's, it's easy pickings and easy selling for the, someone who buys those barrels and just dumps them in. It's the fun part too, because if, if we were all just going off of the best thing to drink for the price, we'd probably all be drinking, you know, wild Turkey one one at least five nights a week. But, none of us are doing that. So we're all kind of chasing a little bit of something different too. There's no doubt about it. You pull a hundred dollars out of your wallet to buy a bottle. You don't want to be wrong because that's saying that you wasted a hundred dollars. So it's got to be really bad for you to admit that. Yeah, that was terrible. Most of the time, if you spend the money on it, you'd be like, yeah, it was good. I, I like it. I enjoyed it. And then that's, that just perpetuates itself. So I don't know, but that's kind of what I love about the bourbon world. And that's every industry too. So that price point, the 75 to 150, it is a sweet spot, right? It's like when people, and this is the psychology behind it, when people go into a restaurant and buy a bottle of wine, I'm not, you know, I don't want to buy the cheapest bottle because I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to buy the most expensive. So I'll, I'll just go straight for the middle. And that middle and bourbon has become like 75 to 150 now, right? It's, it's crept up there. So they're like, oh, okay, I'm, I feel good. I'm probably, I'm probably getting something good. I'm the dumbass that just did this the other night. I was like, that bottle's too cheap. That one's too high. I'm going to go for 60 at the restaurant. That's right. You know? And I was like, I, I feel somewhat like a connoisseur now, you know, at 60. At you didn't buy, yeah, you didn't buy the cheapest one. You you went right down the middle. That's right. I didn't go with Mayomi. I didn't go with Camus, but I went with, uh, you know, like a Silver Oak or something. Or not Silver Oak, uh, Sequoia Grove or something. I don't know. One of those. There's a different podcast for wine pursuit. We're going to yeah. get you. We're going to get you. But it's on all that. it's all relative. But, you know, the other question I want to throw you guys as well is that there is we we already know that there is an influx of brands in the market. And this is just the tip of the iceberg to let people know. I think we're going to see a ton of brands come out 
here in the next five to 10 years as more barrels start coming online. As we all know, there's a, a huge surge in, in distillation and everybody's adding on and doing more barrels every single day. But we're going to continue to start seeing more brands that are just based on MGP. And whether it's three-year-old MGP, four-year, five-year, I doubt you're getting more than five-year in most of these. For me, it's hard to stay excited to about seeing these new brands come out. Again, I'm not going to name the names, but we get, like everybody else, we get some sort of bottles that are media bottles. They have some sort of push after it. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, Let me see the story, whatever. And you read the back and it's uh, three to five years old distilled in Indiana. And you're like, well, I don't care. I, I just, I quit caring. I don't care if you're using 36%, 20%. It's it's hard to start finding that that connection with these brands because A, they're either hiding behind some big PR firm or um, and I have to give a shout out to Rare Bird. He says, nobody's yeah, saying laughing. Ross and Squib. <laughs> nobody's saying Ross and Squib yet. Yeah, so the Ross and Squib distillery, not not so much MGP. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, for you all, is is it hard to stay excited for brands that are just pumping out another another mgp product or is it something you're just like hey i'll I'll give it a shot maybe it's a different proof point you know it's 89 versus 92 proof it's a completely different product it's hard for me to be excited for ross and squib (laughs) just the name alone just the name Uh, i I think i think we go into everything with an open open mind right and and don't judge a book by its cover but nine times out of ten the book ends up being the same exact story that you read over and over and over again for lack of a better analogy. So it's not that we're not excited and we're, we're not trying to guess the outcome, but you can pretty much know it's going to take place. Yeah. And I, I wrote off all these MGP brands, like when they were 10 to 13 years and I guess I shouldn't write them off when they're five to six. So that was a mistake. <laughs> it was all a mistake. Wasn't it? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to, I can't wait till these five to six brands hold some back, get it to 10 to 13 again. Cause that's some of the better whiskey I've had in my day. It's really good. Maybe that's the positive in all this, Kenny. We will see 10 to 13 year MGP again soon. At some point, at some point. And I, I give a shout out to Drew over here saying that, you know, he's he's saying that he's tired of young MGP. He's bored with it. However, what's that's making him turn himself onto other smaller distilleries out there that are putting out more of a craft product. And I kind of, Blake, I'll, I'll kind of throw this one to you is that, you know, you have a, a market where you capitalize or you try to, you try to look at, you know, putting a, a marketing spin on, hey, this is craft whiskey. Like, I'm trying to show you something different. How often do you get brands that say, hey, I'd love to be able to sell on your site. And then you say, well, tell me more about it. And they say, oh, it's source some MGP. Do you say, I'm kind of capped at my MGP players now? Or do you say, all right, well, let's give it a go. What's what's your take on it from a retail perspective? Yeah, so I, I feel like we're a little different because we're not just always about what what's going to sell. But um yeah, I mean, we've definitely hit a cap at times where it's just like, uh, especially on private barrels, where it'll be like, hey, we've got, you know, five private barrels out right now that are all sourced MGP. Let's bring it back in. And the funny thing is, is somebody actually said that to me one time. They're like, hey, last three emails have been all MGP. I'm like, well, no, actually, if you look back, it's we've had all these other craft distilled products did you buy that one? <laughs> it's like, well, no, I didn't buy, you know, you know, those just let me know when smoke wagon comes back in. Um, and uh, that's going to be the worst feeling fun. ever. Like, uh, um, you that's, know. that's your, that's your call of, do you have any Blanton's in the back? Yeah. Yeah. But, but that's kind of where 
I, I feel fine about it that, that we have more of the MGP stuff rolling in because we're always transparent about it. We make sure that the brand is transparent about where, where they're sourcing from. But to me, you know, you 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 got to do something different with it. it, whether it's a finishing barrel or um, it's just an interesting barrel to uh, to start with. It, there, there has to be something unique about it. Otherwise, I mean, there's some craft distillers doing incredible stuff right now. So um, I hate when people just automatically go for what they know when there, there could be something else out there. But that's just kind of the nature of consumers and everything else. So um, it's something that's always going to be there and you just continue to let people grow in their knowledge and taste preferences and, and, and they'll get there eventually. So MGP, I just had a revelation. MGP is the chain restaurant of bourbon. Everybody feels comfortable (laughs) with it. I like it. And you know, it's safe and they know it's going to be good. You know, know, (laughs) are are you going to go to some random coffee shop on the corner of a new city that you're in? Are you, you go walk into a Starbucks and get what you know, but or I, I, I'm sorry. I mean, Ross and Squibb is the chain restaurant. <laughs> it's the new, the new franchise out there. Remember, Ross and Squibb is only for their products, like Remus and all that sort of stuff. So that MGP is still alive. I know. Maybe is it just because everybody just like likes to say the word Squibb, Squibb Games? We'll just Who likes it? No one it just likes rolls it. right off the tongue. It really does. It really yeah. does. Yeah, I'll be interested when it comes. Luxrow MGP Kentucky sourced stuff. So if that ever happens, that's that'll happen. Something will happen. Something. Who knows? Like I said, everybody's going to go home. We're going to make a vision board. And we're going to see what comes to fruition. And that's what's going to happen. But let's go ahead. We'll start uh, rounding this one out, guys. I think we had a lot of good takes tonight, especially looking at Stag and where it all went or where it's going to be here in the next three years, four years. I don't know. I tell you what, if we see a 18, 19, 20-year-old new product, we know exactly where those couple hundred barrels went, and we'll be able to look on this day and say, ah, I felt like I felt like we were right there. We were the only we, ones that knew. We knew something. <laughs> we knew something. We didn't know what we knew, but we knew something. <laughs> they were saying we're conspiracy theorists, and it all came to fruition. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it's right. And I, I'm really glad that Ryan was able to put mgp in the same sort of boat as applebee's over here so it's even better that's right well we just got to figure out who's the blooming onion of the bourbon world and we'll, we'll take it from there that's barton <laughs> <laughs> even better all right so let's go ahead we'll start wrapping it up uh jordan i'll let you go first sure this is jordan one of the three guys from breaking bourbon breaking bourbon.com uh all your bourbon whiskey whiskey review needs for sure and brian all right, Brian with Sippin' Corn and bourbonjustice.com. Find me on all the socials there. Uh, thanks again. Good show, guys. Sure. And Blake, coming to you from P.F. Chang's in some, Orlando. Orlando. Orlando, yes. Yeah, you know, I feel like I've pulled off, like, we've had the Pappy heist. This was the Pursuit heist. Kenny was so against me being on this episode tonight. And then he was like, oh, I don't know. The uh, the Disney Wi-Fi is a little better than I thought it was and probably better than my own house. So, uh, uh, but no, guys, always fun to be back. Um, you know, it's it's been too long. I think it's been two months, although we're recording twice this week. So that'll be fun. Um, but Blake from Bourboner and Sealbox. And yeah, always fun. Thanks again for having me. For sure. Well, 
That's it, everybody. Thank you once again for tuning in to this Bourbon Community Roundtable. And, of course, we'll be back here again. And make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Pandora. Make sure you follow all these guys. Also, make sure you follow Bourbon Pursuit on every single social. With that, cheers, everybody. We'll see you all next week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.